Welcome to Shoal of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host. Patrick Green, sounding a little different because uh, my microphone broke, but I'm going to have that fixed tomorrow. In the meantime, I have an array of microphones in front of my face, and I can't see anything, but I can uh, I can sound about as good as I'm going to sound tonight, which is good because we have lots to talk about. We do have lots to talk about. Um, tonight, our guest for the show is Eugene Sun, one of the writers on Blade Runner Black Lotus. Thank you for joining. Oh, excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. And before yeah. we get to Eugene, we have a little bit of news for everybody, which is that one of the most venerable voices from this show, who's been on many times over the past few years, Peter from the Midwest, or Peter, as we call him, is uh, officially a contributing host to Shoulder of Orion, joining the likes of Dr. Robin Bunce and Micah Green. And he is here tonight in that capacity for the first time. So thank you for being here, Peter. It's a pleasure to like officially, it feels ridiculous saying this because we talk all the time, but officially welcome you into the show family for real. Thanks, man. Oh yeah, this is really exciting guys. Thank you. And hopefully the listeners will enjoy my nasally voice now um, officially. And it's nice to uh, be here in the studio rather than sending messages um, from my spinner. So it's good. (laughs) Yeah. So tonight we are here to discuss the forthcoming Blade Runner Black Lotus. It's releasing on Crunchyroll via Adult Swim. That will be the 13th, I believe. Is that the release date? Yes. And tonight we are here with Eugene Sun, one of the writers of Blade Runner Black Lotus, to discuss the show as much as we can talk about it without giving away spoilers. Um, obviously, a lot of people have been talking about it, including us. Uh, and we're excited to kind of dig into it. Uh, so the first question I would have is, how does this happen? How did you come aboard Black Lotus? Goodness. Uh, the short, boring answer is uh, executive producer Joseph Cho called me up and asked me if I wanted to do it. And I said, yeah, yeah hell yes. Uh, the longer, the longer, more interesting version. And I often tell this story to aspiring writers who ask me, like, oh, how do you get into Hollywood or how do you get your first job? Right. And it's the same story I say is uh, you try to do the best job you can and make connections with people. And eventually there will be a confluence of strange coincidences and luck that will lead to opportunities that hopefully you'll be in a good position, position to take. I years ago, I was working for um, Marvel television animation and there was a producer at Marvel television animation named Ken Dewar who saw my, I never met him, but he would see my name constantly on contracts. that would go past his desk. And, it, and so he would recognize my name. Uh, we met after he had left Marvel Television Animation, we met because he was having lunch with a mutual friend of mine. I ran into him in a restaurant. I'm like, hey, how are you doing? I uh, introduced me to Ken Doerr. Ken Doerr's like, I, you don't know me, but I know you because I've seen your name constantly over the years. I've, I've seen your contracts go across my desk. And a few weeks later, he got contacted by somebody who he had worked with years, Ken had worked with years ago at Warner Brothers, who was uh, Joseph Cho uh, at Warner Brothers Animation. They had worked on the uh, Animatrix. And Joseph was asking Ken, Ken, do you, you know, I'm looking for a writer who's got the Western Hollywood sense of storytelling sensibilities, but at the same time is comfortable working in animation. And if he's got experience working in CG, working within the limitations of CG, uh, that'd be a bonus. And Ken happened to be, well, I just happened to meet a guy uh, at lunch. Um, let me introduce you to Eugene. And we met up, we worked on a project together uh, for uh, Joseph's company in Japan, Sola Digital. Uh, it didn't go, it, it didn't happen, but it, w- it was a great experience. Uh, I worked with him again on another project, Knights of the Zodiac. And after that, uh, then while I was working on that, I saw Blade Runner, uh, 2049 came out and I saw that he it was an executive producer on the blackout 2022 special. And I was like, my goodness, that was amazing. Joseph. I loved that. And so when he ended up getting the chance, an opportunity to do with Alcon to work on another Blade Runner animated series, he reached out to me and <laughs> Coincidentally, uh, again, and what the weird confluence of, of, again, strange, lucky, how did this happen to me uh, events. I got the call from him. I was in a conference room at ILM uh, with friends up at Lucasfilm. And, there, and me sitting there going, I can't believe I'm here at Lucasfilm. This is amazing. And I look at my phone and it's a phone call from Japan. And I'm like, oh, I, I should take this. So I excuse myself, leave the conference room, take it. And it's Joseph asking me, hey, we need a writer on the Blade Runner project. Would it be okay if I threw your name into it? And I'm in it, and I'm standing outside a conference room. I'm standing next to uh, a replica of the chess table from the Millennium Falcon, <laughs> and I'm looking at it, and I'm, and I'm like, 
yes, yes, I would very much like to work on Blade Runner. Yes. So, um, again, strange confluence of weird coincidences and events. But uh, he asked me if I was interested. In, uh, I, and then I met with Alcon. Um, and I suppose, yeah, I'll, I'll go dive into this story, too. Uh, when I met with Alcon, they gave me the document, the first document that had come from Japan. Uh, this is the this is the uh, this is the directors. Uh, the three directors have come up with this proposal. What do you think? Is it, we gave them the freedom to come up with a new idea that was groundbreaking and new and different. We don't want to just retread what we've already seen in the movies, but at the same time, we don't want to lose inherent Blade Runnerness of it. Take a look. What do you think of this? And I looked at it and I said, "This is magnificent. Uh, this is so very different than the films." But at the same time, in between the lines, and this was a rough document. I mean, this was just the treatment that 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 had been written in Japan and had been translated directly into English. So uh, it was a, it was a little rough. But I said, if you read in between the lines, there's so much good thematic meat here. There are so many Blade Runner questions that I cannot wait to dive into and start to draw out that stuff over the course of a 13 episode season. Um, this is this is the this is the stuff that gets people excited about Blade Runner. Um, it's not the I mean, it is to some extent the spinners and the city and the and the and the the, the, the noir, um, but it's it's these questions that are asked in between the lines of this um, about humanity and who we are, and and this is this is this is what this is what makes a Blade Runner, and uh, you know, Alcon liked that answer, and uh, then uh, fast forward a couple of years, and we've got a series. Trying to understand how I better be alone again. Damn, if I can't have you, then no one can. I want my tears with a hundred bands. We're running in circles till we crash and burn. And this life gotta live and learn. You know that I want you. It ain't hard to see. Already knew you were bad. I want to bookmark that last bit big time because I really want to revisit that. But before we do, just like on a technical level, so I'm somebody who's a big fan of animation. Uh, there, a lot of incredible storytelling happens in that context, but I, it's something that I personally don't have any firsthand experience with. And I'm wondering, uh, as you are being somebody who's written a lot for, you know, long form animated storytelling in the past, how did you get into that industry? But also, uh, like, what are some things people might not realize about what it takes to create art in that context? Interestingly enough, uh, I started off when I was a kid obsessed with visual storytelling, like comic books and animation. And I was that high school kid who was, you know, tracking down anime VHSs to watch with friends and uh, and still reading com- and, and reading comic books and, and still occasionally watching cartoons and, you know, thumbing my nose at how childish they were. But, you know, because I was a you know snotty teenager. But I, I was I was really into visual storytelling. When I got older, I said, OK. Time to put this stuff away. I put my comic books in storage. I was like, okay, time to be a grown up now. I'm going to be good, study serious film. And my first op- writing opportunity that I got was writing for Ninja Turtles. So immediately, I had to take all the comic books out of storage and and uh, dig into. And again, all that, all that, uh, yeah, who'd have known years ago that all reading all those comic books would turn out to be useful? Uh, but um, so that's that's how I got into. Uh, Anima- writing animation was being able to write but think visually uh being able to convey it visually and give artists something to as a jumping point off to draw something um frequently you see with uh with with writers who are new to animation they they will think okay well chaos happens well okay no that that's that you can't write that down and uh, the, the artist needs something visual that they can see that the audience can see that they can interpret and uh bring to life um, and that's how I kind of got into anima- animation, uh, doing that. Um, and I'm sorry, I forgot that you had a second part of your question, which was, oh, what is, what is, um, what is there about animation that you know about? Um, the, the incredible, well, two things. One, the incredible collaboration that needs to, be, to happen um, between the writers and the board artists and the directors and the sound guys and the voice actors, all of it. Um, the, the, the collaboration is so hugely important in terms of being able to put your ego aside for a second and say, okay, I am not the single singular creative voice here. I have to work well with other people so that they get to, so they get to add their immense talents to the stew 
and and we get to build upon what um, the other people, the other immense talents that other people bring. Uh, I'm amazed sometimes where I will come up with something that I'm like, okay, that's okay, and then a storyboard artist will plus it to an insane degree, and it'll make me look so good. Uh, or uh, conversely, uh, a, a line of dialogue uh, that uh, you know on another project I worked on, where you know it was a back and forth over which line of dialogue are we going to, and they forced me to the the note to do a dial line of dialogue, and I'm like, this is going to be terrible. And an, a talented voice actor makes it sing, and you're like, no, okay, I was wrong. That voice actor took something that on the page looked, you know, like a dead fish to me, and turned it into into poetry. Um, so yeah, the, the the collaborative the collaborative uh, nature of animation is uh, is something that that that's, that's I'm, I'm constantly astounded by. That's awesome. So when you are so you've met with or you've spoken with Joseph on the phone, you said yes, you want to come aboard this new project that is a Blade Runner project. You you read a rough translation of what the directors say the the show is going to be about. What's the next step after that? It was summer of 2018. Um, I was, uh, we had, uh, I knew that I was, I knew I was going to do Blade Runner. I was very, very happy. Um, I was about to go down to San Diego Comic-Con. It was a uh, Wednesday. I remember this clearly because the, in previous years, I'd not been able to get down to Comic-Con because of work or, or other, you know, other commitments. And this time I was like, I'm going to get down there nice and early on Wednesday. I'm going to relax around San Diego. It'll be nice and easy. And then Wednesday morning, I get a call. Um, Alcon needs uh, needs you now. I'm like, okay. So uh, went into Alcon. And then by Saturday morning, I was on a plane flight to Japan. <laughs> and uh, and uh, it, yeah, and it was great because I, I ended up, you know, instead of having a nice relaxing convention in San Diego, five days relaxing across San Diego, it was basically in, out, and then on a plane to, plane to Japan. Uh, we went to Japan. Um, and I presented my, uh, pitch of how I would take their story and break it over 13 episodes. And then we sat down to the directors, we'd give their notes and we started breaking down the 13 episodes. Um, we, you know, we, we, we put up the note cards on the wall. Uh, we, you know, there were, there was, some, there was some interesting back and forth in terms of, uh, of the characters and what we would, uh, do with some of them. There was some neat stuff coming out that, you know, they hadn't thought of or I hadn't thought of, but just came out in the room. Uh, and it was a really, really productive week. And then after that, um, once we had a, a breakdown of the, of where we wanted to go with the characters and over the 13 episodes, then uh, we would have writers meetings at Alcon, uh, bring in the writers, um, uh, bring in the writing staff. Uh, the directors would either fly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The directors flew to uh, Los Angeles for these meetings and uh, we would break down each episode. Uh, with the with the writers in the room, uh, except for one who lives uh, Alex DeCampi, who lives in New York, so she she uh, called it virtually. Uh, but the other writers live in Los Angeles, and uh, we broke the thirteen stories that way. Was that process pretty much not disrupted by COVID, just because it had already happened before twenty twenty, or, or did COVID get in the way of some of this stuff? It, interestingly enough, it didn't get in the way of the writing process. Uh, we finished up the scripts before COVID hit, but then. Then the pandemic hit, uh, and that put a real that that created a lot of challenges for both uh, recording and uh, and for of course the animation. Um, it, it, doing a doing an animated series across several countries uh, was would be would was a challenge enough. And then once you throw in the pandemic and you can't travel back and forth between the countries, and uh, and and there were and, and certain countries are locked down and other countries are not locked down. Uh, it, it definitely it definitely added to the challenges. Um, but um, and, and, and it's and it's looking back and looking back now, it's 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 it was amazing and impressive how well everyone adapted to the new normal. Uh, our 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 voice director uh, Wes Gleason did an amazing job of okay, well let's let's we're going to we're going to do these records virtually now. Um, and you know, being able to connect to, uh, the yeah, uh, certain 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 actors, you know, were were, were already had home studios, so recording recording them virtually was easy. Uh, certain ones needed uh, we we needed some help to set up home studios. Uh, we we had uh, one of our one of our uh, act, actors was uh, shooting a film in uh, Germany, and uh, so we you know. Uh, we had to find a a recording studio for them to use 
that that they could record their their lines and uh it, the the pandemic definitely s- and and it, yeah it ended up we ended up having to rely much more heavily on you know zoom and virtual communications and such uh but it, it you know people people rolled with it and it it you know i i i think we you know at, at the end of the day it's 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 entertainment so we uh we we figured out a way to do it I was having these flashbacks to um I don't know if you've if you've ever heard our show before. If not, that's oh, yeah. completely yes. yeah, no, oh, right. okay. no, you guys are great. Thank you. Thank you. Jim. Why do you think I was so intimidated coming on here? I, <laughs> you guys know your stuff. Yeah. Oh, thank absolutely. you. Well, the, the reason I'm saying that is because there was a time, you know, it feels like uh, 20 years ago, but I guess it was probably about a year and a half ago, where Black Lotus for us was this kind of question because everything had been so disrupted by COVID. And there was just so there was so much uncertainty about what was still happening and what wasn't happening. And then there was this period of time where, I mean, it was because the show was just being developed, you know, there was there wasn't really press on it for a while. And th- this was like a major unanswered, like, oh, my God, is this not happening? Like after all this time. So when finally we got to start seeing some footage and we got to start seeing some interviews with the directors, it was a, a really like one of those moments of life is getting back to something like normal again. And uh, so getting to like talk to you tonight, getting to look at the calendar right above your head on my wall and realize that we're just a couple of days away from this actually being released and available to everybody. It feels really, uh, really exciting. I want to um, go back for a moment and then I want Peter to be able to get into because I, I know we're talking quite a bit, but I, I, I had that bookmark from a while ago. Uh, this is something, of course, where if uh, it, we don't, I don't want you to feel like you are spoiling anything. So, you know, being mindful of spoilers, you mentioned that in that very first treatment that you read, that one that Jamie was just alluding to, that was, you know, translated and kind of rough, that there were things in it that felt very Blade Runner to you or that felt very attractive, like a story that you really wanted to tell. Can you give us some insight into some of the bones of this story that you think Blade Runner fans will really react to? Goodness, there's oh, well, especially with 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 Blade Runner hardcore fans, it, it'd be so easy for us to spend you know time t- talking about philosophy and the, and the, and human nature and 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 the themes and the questions that are brought up in the Blade Runner stories and uh, and and even and with its DNA back in the Philip K. Dick Dick works. Um, all right, I'm gonna be careful to to not to spoil anything. Uh, so. The first Blade Runner movie, of course, it, it doesn't. It's it's funny when I when, when you talk to friends about it, it's it, or talk to folks like yourself about it. It's almost like if you ask what are the themes of Blade Runner, it's not even so much themes so much as they are questions. That they're questions that the story and this world are asking you and are challenging you with. Uh, what is the nature? What does it mean to be human? You know, what is it? What or and how we treat each other? And what do we see reflected in replicants that we see in ourselves? That was brought out in the first Blade Runner film. And, and and carried on in 2049 in new interesting ways the idea of of, of god i mean i i still get chills when i when i when, when the think of the scene with k saying well to be born is to have a soul and and so that brings up like what does it mean to be born and the nature of and and further carried on these questions of memories um when i saw the treatment i saw a really logical question that that added onto that, which is there are what 10 billion people on planet Earth, and we all think we're special. Um, we and and, and, the, and the question gets asked both, both, both across Western philosophy, especially, uh, you know, like why are we here? What's what am I doing here? What is the meaning of life? Why was I born? Um, and it's strictly on a strictly withdrawn level you could say oh well we're born and you were born so that we can find food find a mate procreate continuous species and then you know before we pass away in eight decades uh but as humans we 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 believe we crave we believe in something more that that that, that despite the fact i'm one of 10 billion people i was put on earth for a reason um and then that question that 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 question was kind of in between the lines of uh, of of the of the document, and as we start exploring and deeper into these characters, the question of why are we here, what is my purpose, and then we tied that into, and again, this is where a lot of the DNA 
where you can tell a lot of the bones in the structure, even though it's it's Blade Runner, but it's also drawn from the works of Philip K. Dick. The ideas of memories and and what those mean to us as humans, and um, and trauma, uh, trauma and suffering, and how we process that, and how that helps define who we are. It, it doesn't have anything to do with Blade Runner. I mean, but it it came it it went viral and after we had finished writing and it was really it. And I thought about it a lot. It was, a, it was that little clip, that interview between Anderson Cooper and Stephen Colbert, where he talked about the nature of uh, nature of suffering and how suffering makes us more human. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, that had a real impact on me. And thank, thank goodness that came out after we had finished writing, <laughs> but it, it, it was, it was, it was asking some of the sim- similar kind of questions of why do we suffer? Is, is there meaning in our suffering and our trauma? And, and that got me thinking again about, about, these bad things that happen to us. Why is it some people can, why is it some of us are expected, able, capable of processing that trauma and others can't? I have friends of mine who have suffered horrible trauma and, and have risen above it and taken it and become stronger people because of it. And others, they, it, 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 it's, it sinks, you know, they, they and, and it's, they didn't, they never had a chance. And so the idea of memory and trauma and how that processes in terms of, because if if all humans suffer, all replicants suffer. Again, what is that reflection in us, and what does that say about us as humans, and uh, and the way not only we treat each other, but the way we process that? One of my favorite things about Blade Runner fandom and about your podcast is the wonderful analysis and 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 the way that people can see and and draw out and and apply their own view, their own worldview on, on some of the the nature of these things, and uh, so I, I'm I'm. I'm curious. I'm curious to see what what people think in terms of that. But yeah, uh, there what there were there was a point early on where I said, okay, I'm not going to go back and reread Philip K. Dick because I that's not I don't want people to think that this is that, that I'm just I'm, I'm just taking from him. I I want I want to I want to draw upon some of these other these other influences. And then at the same time, once you start digging into it, it's like no, that DNA is still there. Those 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 questions that 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 Philip K. Dick asked five decades ago or six decades ago are still are still hanging there in, in, in front of us. Oh yeah. This is, this, I'll jump in here now that Patrick's removed that bookmark and we can sort of smell that, that musty smell in the book. Um, one thing I was really curious about as obviously you are very, you, your, your heart is in, in the work and it sounds like you have, you know, are taking a, a personal stock in, in trying to tell this story, which is very exciting particularly um, to someone like me who came to this podcast sort of almost seemed uncontrollably moved by um, the world of Blade Runner previous and then finding a a outlet for that after 2049 and finding this podcast. Um, You know, we've spent a lot of time talking to each other and, you know, there's been, there's been tears shed. There's been hearty gut laughs. Um, and a lot of that comes from, like you said, those, those ambiguities, those reading between the lines, what it means to you. Um, so really sort of the basic question I have is, you know, what from, and you don't have to do both movies. You don't have to do, you know, just trying to give you some space to breathe here too in, in the whole world of Blade Runner. But I guess what moments from either film are sort of touch points to you, um, that sort of inspired or, you know, at periods where maybe you had a writer's block and you had to move. I mean, what, 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 where do you see yourself um, inhabiting to, to draw some inspiration to then write? Um, to give you an example, a big part for me in 2049 is the, the scene with uh, Dr. Staline, um, where Kay sort of has that, that sort of breakdown. Um, to me, that was a, a great release of tension that I didn't know I even had and then had me explore, you know, that and how the reflection I saw on that. I mean, where do you find yourself sitting in the Blade Runner universe when you're writing? This doesn't quite answer your question. I don't, I'm afraid, but when you started talking about this, this is the first thing that came to mind, um, which, okay. Which goes back to my childhood when I first saw the first Blade, when I first saw Blade Runner, it was, I was, I must've been around 10 or 11 years old and it was on television in Los Angeles. And so it was the TV version. So it was cleaned up. Uh, it, 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 it was, 
and I watched it because I had no, I knew nothing about it, but I saw that it had Harrison Ford and it was always oh, hunting, hunting people in the future in Los Angeles. This sounds great. I, so I sat down ready to watch an action movie and I, it, it went over my head. I, I was a dumb kid. <laughs> the, the movie went over my head. I liked it. I enjoyed the story time, but I definitely had questions after I was done with like, that was a strange ending. And, and, and the thing that stayed with me most and it's and, and every, and it still kind of, gives me the chills every time i see it was i remember as a kid watching the the zora's death scene being confused as a kid because i was like okay he just he just killed the bad guy right that's it why don't i feel like something heroic just happened why why is the music sad why is it slow motion why is she in agony as she's going through the glass why is she wearing the, the that, that why does she look so vulnerable wearing that clear plastic clothing like why does she look it, like you know I didn't obviously, but, but like, this is so vulnerable and it wasn't an exciting, it was, it was exciting, but it wasn't heroic. And I thought to myself, is there something wrong with me? Is there something wrong with this movie? I don't get it. And again, I was a kid. I didn't, you know, most of the movie went over my head. Um, just again, to speak to how much, uh, how, what a kid was, I enjoyed the voiceover. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's how much of a dumb kid I was at the time. Uh, I rewatched it again, of course, when I was 18 and it was like watching, Rewatching a movie that I'd seen before, but it was like watching it for the first time. Because again, I got it this time. And after it was done, I had plenty of friends to talk to about it. And we could, and so I'd seen the movie twice, enjoyed it both times, had two completely different experiences. And then, uh, and then the third time I watched it was, of course, with my wife, and she had never seen it before. And I was like, oh, well, it's perfect. There's this new director's cutout. And then, of course, I watched, and then I had a third completely different i again i enjoyed it but the third completely like wait a minute the unicorn represent and and that that blew my mind and i it stuck with me the idea that i've seen this movie three times and walked away with three very different experiences and so that was always the goal is someday you know and again and a lot of the stuff i'm writing is you know in animation in the television you don't get the chance to really dive deep into these kinds of themes but gosh the dream was always it would be amazing to write something where upon repeat viewings you can get something new you can see you can you can you can find yourself reacting to different things and, and asking different questions and and seeing the same events happen but with a slightly tweaked different point of view um you know and that makes it that 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 makes the difference between say a comfort viewing movie that I'll watch over and over again like say Star Wars and uh, in a movie like Blade Runner that I'll watch over and over again and and, and find myself, you know, thinking again on uh, or pondering upon it as if I've been watching it for the first time. Um, so that's that's something I uh, that that's something I I, I was hoping to the, the, that was the goal that that that's a goal that I've definitely got, got and from from experience with Blade Runner. In terms of challenges, I, I would imagine it's exciting. You're working on a, a Blade Runner project, but it's a very different Blade Runner project. It's you know, what is it all together? Like three and a half hours. If you were maybe to put every, everything together or six hours, I think it's closer to five to six hours. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, so, you know, if you're going to write a film, that's a little bit more straightforward. You have 90 to 120 pages. Um, but also you can write a, a genre film about a spaceship or a genre film about whatever, a horror film or whatever, but Blade Runner to your point, you can watch it four different times and walk away with four different mindsets. Um, and so in terms of the challenges, did you, was it while you guys were in the writing room, like, okay, maybe we've mapped out 13 stories, but how do you, how do you come up with a way to tell something new in a very familiar setting? Um, what was that like in terms of, okay, Hey, like, Oh, all right, let's, let's do this in this, certain situation no we can't do that because or should we do that is that is that congruous within the blade runner world like and i'm asking these questions mostly because i'm a hardcore fan but also because there are other hardcore fans who have very specific ideas of blade runner but at the same time again to your point it's challenging because blade runner can be very different things and to very different people and one of the geniuses the genius of the first two films is that it works 
on all of those levels. We were talking about Kay earlier. And what I love about Kay is Kay was a nobody. And why Kay was great for me was that he was a no one who did the right thing. By the end of the film, he wasn't a nobody. He was somebody. And wasn't because he ended up being Deckard's son, which was kind of the the twist. Everyone thought that, oh, he he's you know, he's Deckard and Rachel's child. That wasn't the case. But in my, for me, he became more important. They almost did that with Ray in Star Wars, but then they doubled back and essentially killed her off um, or killed off anything good about her. Um, but they really made that landing with Kay. And for me, it made him even more of a powerful character. And it was that approach that really again, makes 2049 the masterpiece that it is. So all of that said, there's a lot of weight you guys are under to like, okay, how does this hold up? Now, I obviously understand that this is a, an anime. This is going to work a little bit differently. You're, you don't have, this isn't a film. This isn't with live actors, but you also have more time than a two and a half hour film. You have almost six hours. So how do you, and I know this was, it's very loaded. It's very kind of layered, this question I'm asking you. But how do you approach that um, and and know that you, what you're, the story you're telling is a story that needs to be or should be told within the universe? It's a good question. The key to me, the, 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 the big difference is that there is a inherently different form of storytelling between film and modern television in which that um, modern television and, and, and film, it's not as if, oh, film is just, you're just telling a, a two hour, a double, a two or two, a double length episode of a TV story. It's not um, a TV, a, a, a television story is now today, today the, the, the current way the television is being done is you, the strength of the medium is it's in, in, in the characters because you have time to really build on them to showcase, show different sides of them. You have the, you have the page count, you have the time, the audience will have the investment to, to, to let you, uh, you know, peel back the onion slowly. Um, oh, and, and to do it with multiple characters. Um, the, if we've done things right, um, I'm hoping that we, there will be questions brought up or interesting themes or topics brought up by several of the characters in the series, not just the main ones that you see, you know, that, that you see mostly in the, in the, in the trailer. Or, um, that, 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 that one of the strengths of television, again, is that, you know, we will see more of these other characters. Um, and, and as far as what we could and couldn't do with some of the characters, well, yeah, I suppose one one interesting was the uh, the directors had a neat. They had their they they had their reasons for you uh, for bringing back say a character like Doc Badger, because um, again, in the, over the course of uh, you know it, it, through the course of a movie, well, do, do do we do we want does the audience want to see a lot of Doc Badger you know in the in the story? Yeah, maybe maybe, but in the in a film, you you're really you you've got you've got that. You've got the, the you've got these restraints. While over the course of thirteen episodes, do we have an interesting story to tell with that character? I think we did. I think we. I think we. I think there was there was something very cool uh, about him that the directors found, um, that, so that we could tell a story about him. Uh, at the same time, I at, at one point I mentioned, and I, I can't go into details for spoilers, but I, I had asked, "Hey, I have a neat idea about bringing back X character," um, and the, and the question, and and then we discussed it, and then the ultimate, you know, and then there was a there was a question of, okay, wait, are we bringing this character back because this is necessary for the story, and we have the best story to tell with them, or are we bringing them back just because Eugene, you're a Blade Runner fan, and you think it'd be cool to see him? And I'm like, yeah, all right, that's fair. <laughs> that, that is that is fair. That's a fair complaint. Let's see if the story works without him, and the, it, it worked without him. So, um, but yes, you know that's. And, and you, you, you also mentioned Jamie the uh, the idea that everybody has, as a Blade Runner fan, has their own idea of what what would be the next, the, what would be a great next Blade Blade Runner story. And 
guy i uh, that is a that is so true it is really really true uh when when you have discussions with people about you know about what they what they what they connected with in blade runner what they saw themselves in blade runner what kind of movie they thought blade runner was you you can see that that, that everybody has what they what they consider is their the their their tent poles of what needs to be there for 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 to be a to be blade runner um and i'm 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 very curious to see if people, you know, to see the audience's reaction to which temples we thought were most important. And 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 you mentioned uh, and and you mentioned also the the, the limitations of like yeah, and again the anime, uh, the fact that it's animated. So, I, um, you know, that 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 we have a character with a sword running around. You know, with is that would would you see something like that in the first two Blade Runner movies? Maybe, maybe not. But I think it works here in the context of and and if we're going to do that in the context of using anime. And, and and this animated medium, then uh, yeah, then we we lean into it and find a way to make it not only make sense but to make it memorable to the story. And that's got to be that's a lot of weight um, to have as a creative person, you know, because because you're I mean, at the end of the day, the running time of this anime series will probably actually be greater than the running time of the two films put back to back. Right? This is this is going to be at least about the same length of of, of running time. Uh, and it's going to be available internationally to people who have been starved for Blade Runner content for a very long time. And it's there's a question in here that I'm going to get around to. But before I do, as as you know, you know, we've talked to the comics creators on here quite a bit. We've talked to you know all sorts of people who've been invested also on our Alien show on people who are creating new stuff within that IP as well. And there's this constant wrestling with legacy and with the weight of creative achievement, right? And so when you're cracking something open again to tell a new story with it, there's a lot of pressure, I think, on any creative person that goes with that. So the, I guess the question for me is, uh, as you were approaching this story and working again as a team with a lot of different voices involved in it, and this is not just, you know, Eugene Sun's show, obviously, this is, this is a lot of people working on this thing together, but you're a major part of it. For you as a Blade Runner fan, as somebody who feels the weight of this history, what did you feel had to be there? What was what were your tent poles as a creative person in this process? I needed it to challenge me. I needed it to the story, the characters, the events to not confront me, but to maybe make me a, a little uncomfortable with the questions it was asking. Um, to make me revisit the way I treat people or the way that I see people or or the way that others treat people. Um, that was, that was it. It's, and, and again, there's the, the various stuff like the noir, you know, the, the, like I used to be, I used to be, and again, I was much more, uh, I, I was much more insistent that no Blade Runner has to be noir. It can't, you can't like leave the city and all that. But then 2049 pushed us into, you know, to, to, finding sapper outside you know outside the city and things like that and then the comic books have actually done i thought for the longest time i thought you can't go off world that would just ruin it and the comics have done a wonderful job with that so i was like okay that 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 that's pushed me and that's pushed me into believing that you can you absolutely can tell blade runner stories off world uh it it, so my the 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 tenets of what you know i think i know it all until somebody proves me wrong and and thankfully people are, are proving me wrong in terms of what what can make a good Blade Runner story. Uh, if you had told me, oh, here's an example. If you had told me before 2049 came out, came out that um, a, a girl, you know, karate kicking and and and, and martial artsing her way through a fight would be Blade Runner, I would have said no. And then I saw Blackout 2022, and that was magnificent. I was like, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. That's that was that. This was this was done in in, in the context of Blade Runner. Um, if you would, oh, and, and also the yeah, other things that 2022 broke, the idea of, 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 of faith and religion and, 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 and the belief in God. I thought, well, you know, those are topics you can't really do properly in Blade Runner. That, that, and, you know, having a replicant asking if I go to heaven, like then in 20, that they did in 2022, I was like, no, nope, I was, I was wrong. This is, this is, this, this is, uh, it, it expanded what I thought a Blade Runner story could be. Um, but as, as you also mentioned the weight and, uh, and the pressure. And it's funny is I didn't feel that as much because of the immensely talented people I was working with. Um, the, my, the execs at Alcon that I worked with, you know, Ben Cook, Ben Roberts, Al Cuenca, um, and, and 
they they are such talented people that I trusted them when, when they would say, you know, when they would bring up questions of, hey, is this too much? Hey, what do you think about this? The directors are insanely talented. And uh, yeah, I, I, we could spend the whole show talking about the three directors. Um, the, so when they, when they come up with an idea, it, even if I don't in, initially get it, I will be like, okay, I've, I've got to, I've got to, you know, I've got to figure it out because they are so immensely talented. The, the voice actors, um, God, the things they brought, um, the, well, I mean, what, what are the, yeah, um, you know, our, our, our lead, uh, Jessica Henwick was just, you know, amazing. Just the fact that she, you know, she could, and again, all, everybody, everybody is a Blade Runner fan. You know, when she talks about her watching Blade Runner with her dad and her dad teaching her the, the tears and the, the tears and rains you know, monologue and, um, and, uh, Wes Bentley as, uh, uh, Wes Bentley as, uh, Neander Wallace, he, you know, he, he, he brought it, he brought something where it was like, it could have easily have been an imitation, a Jared Leto impression. And he didn't, he brought something new to it. And he also, you know, it was a great moment at the records where he was the first person to hold up the script and just made me like, you know, how geeked out we all are that we get to work on a Blade Runner with the Blade Runner logo on it. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. We, you know, we, we were all, you know, we, we all, we all, we were all, we all knew what we were doing, but we all embraced it because again, the, the people around us, uh, yeah, there's an additional story. Brian Cox, uh, who was so so good, uh, the last last record, he just kind of casually dropped on us. Yeah, no, I was talking to my you know my my old pal Hampton Fancher. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? Like it, it's like, yeah, no, I've been buddies with Hampton Fancher for decades. Like, and and you didn't tell us this. <laughs> like you, you didn't. He's just like, oh, no, it was just you know, it was just a casual thing that he's buddies with Hampton Fancher. I'm like, wow, that's and of course you know. And of course, it's Brian Cox, so it was fantastic. Um, but yeah, the 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 immensely talented people. Once once you once you realize, like you know, when I'm when I'm writing the scripts, I don't know what it's going to look like. I have to trust the and the animators in Japan. They went above and beyond. There was a trip to Japan I went to where they were building the they were they were building the advertising blimp um, in the city, and I was like my goodness, this looks amazing. Like, yeah, no, we're just doing this on our, you know, we were just doing this in our, our free time because we love Blade Runner. And, and, uh, I was like that you, you guys, you guys just volunteered. Like, yeah. Because we love Blade Runner and the chance to do something like this, you know, they, they jumped at it. Um, so when you, when you have that trust, it, it becomes, when, when you know that everything is being done really well, it, it takes a lot of the pressure off. It takes a lot of the pressure off. Oh, and, and my writers. Oh, God, I forgot about my writers. We, the, our writing team of uh, Alex DeCampi, Margaret Dunlap, and Brandon Ullman. Um, yeah, the, you, they're all so ridiculously talented. It, it makes... It, it takes all the pressure off. But there ain't no love lost. There ain't no love lost. There ain't no love lost. Pay the cost. But there ain't no love lost. A uh, question for you in terms of more behind the scenes. So, again, going back to you mapping out 13 episodes, at what point do you, and or maybe you don't, sit in with the visualizers and say, okay, we have our scripts or whatever. When do they start building that world? How does this work? Because for me, as a fan of animation and anime, I don't know how any of that works in terms of like, okay, so you have it written, what phase does it go to next? What are the writers still involved with? Are you there to see the world being built? How how much participation do you have as a writer? It depends on the project, but in this particular in this particular project, because of the fact that they were overseas, the directors were taking the lead on that, and specifically uh, Aramaki-san and Kamiyama-san um, and their art team. Uh, they were starting to do visual development very early, uh, even before we had uh, any stories they had visual development of what uh, what these characters would look like uh, what 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 a, what a, what a police spinner would look like what would the city look like um, what would the uh, yeah there was there was an uh, there was an early discussion in the scripts with um, you know with, with with the directors in terms of what, how they saw Los Angeles is it they you know, there because they they saw in their heads of what Los Angeles would look like and in my my question, which was not the best question, but it was like, are you envisioning more looking like 2019 at Los Angeles? Or are you imagining looking more like 2049 Los Angeles? And 
they're like, no, no, we're doing our own version of Los Angeles. So um, they were they were doing Viz Dev on that very early, um, and even even before the scripts, you know, once once the once the directors knew what the characters what they wanted to do, and then you know, and then as the process goes, it gets refined. Um, I didn't. <laughs> well, I the like. Uh, no, I can't talk about that as a spoiler. But there, there were certain things that, that I wrote into scripts where, um, yeah, I was like, I trust that I, I trust that the that the directors or the, the animators over there will get it, and they, yeah, they they knocked it out of the park. They they clearly went frame by frame over the films to make sure to get it to look like Blade Runner. Um, uh, oh yeah, the. the and they're in the trailers, the umbrellas, like, like the umbrellas, like I didn't write that in the script. I just wrote the, 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 the I didn't write those in the script, but those are clearly things that the directors and the artists over there knew would look amazing. And, 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 uh, and, and plus that. So yeah, the, uh, the, the, and then, um, yeah, before the pandemic, when I did get the opportunity to go to Japan and, 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 and visit the offices, of course they would show me everything. Um, but that's really in the hands of the, in the hand that were in the hands of uh, Aramaki-san and Kamiyama-san. Um, a question that I, I would have, I spent some time in Japan uh, studying over there at, uh, during sort of a, a post law school year. And, you know, I just fell in love with, with the culture, with the, with the great pride that's taken in just about anything anyone does, no matter what it is, how little or small, um, what was it like working with a, a Japanese team versus you know, a, a typical um, Los Angeles team? What was some of the, the takeaways that you found, again, working with an international team, but particularly um, a Japanese team? And again, with particularly a very um, Japanese subject, both anime and Blade Runner, having relied very heavily on you know uh, Tokyo and other um large Japanese cities sort of as a, as a, a key point of, of design. Yeah. It's the, the, the strange circle uh, uh, that, that closes is fascinating too. When you think of what, what, what American, what, what American visual artists were being inspired by and what they were reacting to in 1982 or in the early eighties when they were doing the first Blade Runner movie and then the Japanese influences on it. And then the fact that that ended up influencing Japan and, uh, and now we get to do an anime, which you know, drawing upon that, which had drawn upon you know, the the you know the geisha on the uh, on the side of the building, like that, that's that's it's it's fascinating to see. I I, uh, I I guess in the same similar kind of way, I I I remember likening it to watching like things like American culture when you travel you know, internationally, when you go to Europe or China or whatever, and then you see how American culture is fl- you know, flourished around the world, and you think it's the same kind of thing. It's like wow, that's amazing. Someday we'll get you know. Uh, China's take on KFC back here in the United States, and, <laughs> and the circle will be complete. Uh, as far as working with Japan, I've, I've done it before, which was one of the benefits of, of uh, you know the, of having me on board was that I, I was comfortable working in, in Japan and 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 working with uh, with Japanese animation studios. Specifically, the big difference between Japanese animation studios and American animation studios being that in Japan the director has a lot more control. They're, they're, it's much more director auteur, um, it, it, similar to feature film here than it is a- a- animation uh, here. Animation here, again, being more collaborative. Japanese, it's collaborative, but still the, the director can be a little more of an auteur. So I had to, you know, I had to know that I was working for the, for the directors. And, and I went in there knowing that. And um, the, But the, the big adjustment was... Well, I mean, hilariously, I mean, the first first time we flew out there, we're staying in uh, Shinjuku, so I'm like, we're, we're in that Blade Runner neighborhood, <laughs> and and you know, if you need inspiration, you just go out for a walk at night and walk past a robot restaurant, or you know, walk under the uh, the, the movie theater with the giant Godzilla, you know, just to just to, uh, if you if you're looking for that that future future noir inspiration. Um, the the other the other part which was was I worked on I've worked on projects before but this is was unique in that it wasn't just japanese directors but these are giants in japanese anime like these three are le- legends um you know watanabe-san i mean 
Cowboy Bebop. What you you know, what more can you say about Cowboy Bebop except you know that that you know Samurai Champloo and all the other stuff he's done has been equally amazing. Um, Aramaki San, I like I legend like like just just like again I and ta- getting to work with him on this too like that was so it was it was funny one of the times I was talking to him asking him about I don't know how much you know about uh, uh about uh, Aramaki San but uh. Aramaki-san, like I, I was asking about something I saw on his IMDb page, which was that he had d- been a vehicle designer on the 1980s Kenner mask cartoon um, with, with the, the 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 mask toys. And I was like, wait a minute. So you came over to America, not speaking English and, and worked on that show here in Los Angeles? That yeah. And then, you know, that's how we learned English and such. And I said, how old are you? you did that? He was like, like 22, 23. I'm like, wow, that's amazing that in the 80s, you came from Japan to the US to work on an animated series when you're 20. Wait a minute. At 23, I looked at his IMDb badge. I'm like, wait a minute. You designed the Cyclone motorcycles, the Cyclone Rider armors in from Robotech, the, the Genesis Climber. How old were you when you designed those? And he's like, 19. And I'm like, 19? You were 19 years old when you designed those. And, and then I said, wait, according to your bio, though, that wasn't your first job. You started, you started Takara Toys. You designed the, the, the Decepticon Soundwave. The, and and the cassette tapes that came out of him. How old were you when you designed that? It's like eighteen. <laughs> I'm like I couldn't do anything at eighteen or nineteen. And he was, he he was you know he was a genius. So um, working no, with you, him. You, yeah, you are definitely hitting like every every highlight of of my childhood. I mean, just referencing mask alone is just like oh my god, and never knowing yeah. who actually did this to, to know that someone involved in that. I mean, it's just that's incredible. He he is a and he's and he, he is a legend. And uh, and yeah, getting to work with him and Kamiyama-san and uh, you know uh, Watanabe-san, who was the the uh, the creative producer. Uh, you know, he was he- uh, he was heavily involved. Uh, but the the day to day directing was the were were Kamiyama and Aramaki. And yeah, they're they're legends. So it's you have to you have to you know you have, I had to step my game up, <laughs> at the, but at the same time know that you know I, I'm you know. I'm working for them and my, you know, if things go well, I'm giving them the material for, you know, giving them what they need to do their, to do their best job. Yeah. The, and, uh, and the rest, and the, and the rest of Japan, it, it's like, yeah, like, like you mentioned, like you, Peter, you've mentioned having been, been there. It, it's, it, it is, it is really in, in, like so much of it, so much of it is, is inspired some of the creative stuff here, our, our culture here, you know, whether it's the anime or the toys, uh, the games, the, the, you know, things like, things like, things like that were, you know, I, I don't know, like how many times people message me with saying like, Hey, do you know, there's a Blade Runner poster up at Nakano Broadway? I'm like, yes. Yeah, I know. I've seen it. There's, there's a little store in the corner of Nakano Broadway. That's got a Blade Runner, a Japanese Blade Runner 2049 poster up there. I don't know. They just liked it. I don't know if it's ever going to go down. I don't know if it's a permanent thing there, but yeah, if you go in the back of Nakano Broadway, there is a, you know, there's a Harrison Ford and Ryan Gosling poster of the Japanese Blade Runner 2049. It's it, yeah, the creative influences are strong there, and it's really inspiring. It's really inspiring to go there and, and come back with, you know, what's wild is the last time I went to Japan was right before the pandemic. It was in February 2020. Was my last trip to Japan for this project. Wow. And and when we got there, it was just it was like a preview of like oh. Like at first I was like, oh man, it's like, it's going to be so weird. But then I'm like, I've got a mask, but I don't know if I was going to, it's going to be really, oh, everybody's wearing them. Okay, cool. And then, so it was like a sneak preview. Like I got a sneak preview a month before the, the pandemic shut everything down in our country. I got a sneak preview of, okay. Uh, like I asked them locals, like, so what, what's, how's things have changed? And they said, well, you can't find masks and you can't find hand sanitizer. And the first thing I did was text my wife, go get as many masks and hand sanitizers as possible. It's going to be running out soon. <laughs> Feels like a lifetime ago, doesn't it? Um, it, does, it does. I, we want to be mindful of your incredibly gracious uh, use of your time tonight. We know you're a busy person, but I, I have a couple more questions, yeah, um, absolutely. Made, uh, including kind of speed round ones, which I'll kind of save for my final round of questions. But uh, but before I do, something I want to make sure we talk about. You mentioned uh, Aramaki-san and Watanabe-san, right? Uh, Watanabe directed 2022, which has come up quite a few times tonight. 
And I know Aramaki did the spinner designs for it, which is pretty cool. Going back to his incredible, you know, vehicular expertise. Um, tw- I'm bringing 2022 up because the shadow of it, I think, looms larger than people might realize over over your project over Black Lotus, because I think, um, you know, I, I I know that those short films weren't just you know for marketing purposes or whatever. Uh, I know that they were actual you know works of art, but the 2022 short clearly stands miles above the, the other two in terms of it was just an instantly like i mean it was it was it sent shockwaves through all of us i remember where i was when i watched it. i was in a hotel room in england that was right before the trip to come back and see 2049 when it released i remember like being on my phone i remember the door jam i was leaning against and being like oh my god this is incredible for a number of reasons you've already elucidated right for one thing this you know language of Blade Runner has always been very close to the language of anime, and of course, anime has been incredibly influenced by Blade Runner. But also, Blade Runner I think draws a lot from all sorts of different Asian cultures and Japanese culture being a huge part of it. Obviously, and you can see that when you see the kanji on the symbols and everything, right? So it felt right instantly, but it also felt really artistically brave. It felt like a really different statement. And you've said that yourself tonight, Eugene, on in terms of some of the philosophical questions it raised, but also just the aesthetic considerations, right? I mean, you know, we named our uh, social media group after a scene in that, right? The Fields of Calantha battle sequence, which to me is just like, you know, I've rewatched this countless times. I'm always just stunned at the visual language that is used throughout it. So something that I think uh, people will grapple with a little bit is that speaking very personally for me, the, the use of computer animation in this was initially something I had to kind of wrap my head around because I was expecting something that felt more like 2022. So I, th- I think a lot of Blade Runner fans will be going into this expecting that short basically and kind of, and then having to readjust their expectations a little bit to, you know, find the new language of this particular vehicle, knowing that a lot of the same people were involved. So my question for you is did 2022 factor in to the Black Lotus creative process a lot? Was it sort of like a North Star for you? Or was it something that was just, you know, inspirational and cool, but you were really creating your own thing? A little of both. I would say its success was definitely an inspiration. Um, it was definitely, there was, the goal was to do something as good um, and as perfect uh, as, as 2022 was. But it was not to do the same. Um, CG, the, 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 one of the things that I, I love about hand-drawn animation is the way that it does, it, it can fully immerse you into, into, into this beauty that 2D, that, that, that 2D hand-drawn animation can do. And, Bla- and in Blackout 2022 absolutely did that. Like you're talking about this, those, those gorgeous swirling fields of Calantha shots were gorgeous. The, between that and the terrifying... Uh, hunting down of the replicants at the beginning of that thing, where which is really stark, and and it, but it's the same hand. It's just hand, it's all hand drawn, but at the same time, you know, you, you're you're getting these incredible emotions from this beautiful from this beautiful two D. It, it, it feels like art, um, and again, that makes sense because again, the hand drawn, the hand drawn art is ingrained to us, ingrained to us as human beings since you know since people drew on the walls of caves, you know. Uh, Computer generated animation is definitely its own creature with its own strengths and weaknesses. And so, yeah, if we if if we're expecting more of the same of of the of the good from Blackout 22, 22 then they're they're getting they're getting something different. What 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 the CG? It's a unique challenge, but it's about that wonderful how how put it like the, the way the city looks the way the lighting works there were things that early on in the process that i thought oh man i don't know how are we going to be able to populate a cg city like that's i know from working on cg shows it's hard to make it look busy and dirty and run out and, and how are they going to be able to do the rain effects that, that it looks like it rain they did the the city the cg makes the city feel real the lighting and the and the and the and the 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 vehicles and the weather and things and, and, and the neon signs, they pop in CG. So I know for some people, they don't, they, they don't care about that. <laughs> they, they're, they're, they're not, maybe they won't be impressed by that so much, but um, it, it is definitely a different creature. So uh, I, what I do 
what what I do hope, and I think most people, most Blade Runner fans are, well, they, they're going to go in with an open mind, and they're like, okay, we'll give it a shot. Like, even if it's not my thing, even if I prefer hand-drawn, I'm going to give the CG a shot. I will say the 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 one, the CG, like, and, and I, having worked in CG, I thought, you know, a couple of years ago, I thought, doing Spider-Man in CG, what a terrible idea. And Into the Spider-Verse popped. It, it used the CG so well, and popping, and the, and the environments popped, and the characters popped. Um, that's, that's our goal to do something, something, you know, similar with that, with, with Black Lotus. But if somebody comes to me and, and says, you know, Hey, a- after having watched all 13 episodes, we'll say, Hey, you know what? I prefer hand drawn over CG. That, I, I can accept that, you know, and, and, and we, and, and again, as, as Blade Runner fans, we're going to have fun discussing that and, and, and talking, uh, you know, and getting into the minutia of, of, of what works and what doesn't work. But I do think we did something different and something that stands on its own. Uh, and, and hopefully, and hopefully the, you know, hopefully everyone will uh, find it and find it, find it that way. And I think what's important is when we all go to the movie theaters, we all see films and oftentimes we'll be watching a movie and by the, we won't know if we really love something until the end. So I think whether you love hand-drawn animation or CG animation, there's plenty of CG animation that I absolutely adore. Um, but it wasn't, if I asked myself, well, why did I love that movie? It had nothing to do with the CG animation. It had everything to do with the characters. The characters were working. The characters uh, I was invested in. Um, and Blade Runner is a little bit different because it's a symphony. It's, oh, wow, look, that's a cool street corner, but it's not about a street corner. Oh, that's a cool building, but it's not about that building. It's about Rachel right now. So our our, our focus shifts because that conductor who was Ridley Scott, or then eventually Denis Villeneuve, for instance, Joy, which is someone we've talked about over and over, which would be interesting to see if she might reappear because she's a character who exists in different iterations. She could populate wherever. Anyways, for me, I, I don't I don't think, I think that person maybe at the end of the run of these 13 episodes, they'll say, they'll either say, yeah, I wasn't into it, and it will have nothing to do with the CG, and it will have everything to do with it just didn't work for them. And I, 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 that's a problem I think in the, in the, in the time that we're living in where we're seeing so we're seeing so much content put on social media and everyone has something to say about it. Every, including myself as you and everyone has heard um, where things can stand less on their own because there's so much commentary attached, but I think when it works, it works. And all of those little discussions that we're having beforehand won't even matter if it works for us by the end. And so I'm excited to see if that is the case for myself. And I'm sure Patrick and Peter are the same way. Yeah. I think just the last thing I'd like to close with, is just sort of a, a, a just a brutally honest uh, sort of uh, opinion where I think my initial thoughts on the series, where I think a lot of um, emphasis was being placed on, on the visuals. Um, and at this point, after having this just, incredibly just frank conversation with you. And I, I thank you for that a lot because a lot of what I've enjoyed about the entire experience on this podcast and the hosts and the guests is just the, sh- the sharing and learning about each other. Um, just, I don't know, just seeing your own passion, your own love of obvious love of, of the series. Although you haven't, you know, sort of had to sit there and say, Oh, I love it. You know, I'm trust me. I'm, I'm a fan. It, it's apparent and it, I think it bodes very well. So I'm, more excited than ever now to see this. So it's, I'm, this is awesome. This is exciting. I'm glad to have been a part of this, but yeah, let's, let's get moving to the, to the famous Patrick speed rounds. Let's do it. All right. So, so you have a, uh, don't think for more than a second about this. Uh, okay. And if, and if, <laughs> or you can take two seconds if you really want to, but just kind of quick top level answers. Who was your favorite character to write? L. Uh, what's the best episode? Number nine. Okay. Uh, and uh, what's the, your favorite anime? film that you recommend people check out who are listening to this who may not be as used to anime my neighbor totoro oh, uh, it's a masterpiece wow. that's uh, <laughs> that's you okay, have one more pass uh, I'm, more saying, po- I'm imagining somebody with a gun to my head i'm saying there's one more question that patrick hasn't failed to ask which is blade runner or blade runner 2049 evil evil um Guy, Blade Runner. Our listeners, I guess, I, I guess, Ooh. I guess, Blade Runner. But oh, that's evil. That's 
Man. <laughs> Our listeners that. couldn't see the actual anguish in your face, but I just trust <laughs> us that he was genuinely anguished by answering that question. And don't ever apologize for liking the voiceover. I'll just say as an apologist for the original <laughs> film version, there's a whole episode where I had to do this. But don't apologize for it. It's okay to like the voiceover. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> the voiceover is okay. great. It's okay. It's not great. I mean, it's 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 a thing. You know, we, we got a lot of uh, you know heated exchanges from listeners after that episode dropped, where they were like, "I love the voiceover." You know, people people get very into the voiceover if they love it. So there's no shame in that. Whatever. Uh, thank you so much for being here tonight. I, I just realized. No, it wasn't yeah. episode episode nine. Episode ten. Episode, Ooh. Episode, episode okay. Uh, do we know if Crunchyroll are they dropping these once once a week? So this is a once a week thing, or is, will Crunchyroll like the app have it all? I believe it's a once a week thing for Crunchyroll. Okay. okay. Yeah, we're all weekly. signed up. So weekly. We're, we're yeah, weekly. All right, awesome. Yeah. Well, we are excited. Thank you again so much for coming on. Thank you we're so really much for having me, guys. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com. If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.